This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at gatewayfellowship.com. We are starting the series this morning, Living Forward, right? This idea of like moving forward in the faith, taking steps forward in the faith. And um, 2 Timothy is authored by Paul. And Paul in this situation is writing to Timothy, the one he calls his son in the faith. Now, I love that. I do not have my own biological children. I don't have any siblings. I'm an only child. But I have fully embraced in my life um, Auntie Sarah. So um, my, my friends that had children uh, back in the day, this, uh, I realized I had to be careful about my terminology because I would say to a, you know, my, my friends, a little girl who was like 10, I'm going to kidnap you and we're going to go to Starbucks. And then we got to Starbucks and it's like, I'm, Andy, I'm just so glad you kidnapped me this morning. And I was like, oh, I got to be careful here. This could, this could go bad in a lot of ways. Um, so, you know, we had a, I'd, I'd be mindful of my terminology. But I have fully embraced the opportunity to get to invest in the life of some of my friend's kids. And so this book and the way that Paul starts it, talking to his son in the faith, is really meaningful to me. Or I think we're going to see here um, that's actually a concept he kind of unpacks a little bit for us at the beginning. I, I have to tell you an Auntie Sarah fail. Um, our, one of our school groups went to Disneyland. This is right before COVID hit. And um, my coworker, uh, was the leader of that group, and we're really, really good friends even to this day. She doesn't work at the school anymore. Um, but she had her little boy who was two and a half at the time. And uh, I, I love Disneyland. And I was like, yes, I shall go with the school to Disneyland and embrace the Auntie Sarah role in, on many levels, right? And so I took my little, my little, middle, little Donovan, two and a half, on Dumbo. Yeah. should have been a wonderful memory. Now, it's a memory for both of us, I think, because we had to stand in a really long line. I didn't realize that the line for Dumbo, like I'm used to the bigger rides. Dumbo was apparently like really popular, so it took us a long time to get on the, on the ride. So by the time we do, he, he, he's just a little restless, right? Two and a half, two and a half. So we get on Dumbo. Everything is good. Dumbo takes off. We are no longer good. We are, not, we are not good. There, there is no goodness. Um, there are lots of tears. There is lots of screaming and crying. And he is looking at me like, why won't you stop this? Um, you are a traitor in my life. And so we like, are going around, and here's mom and grandma biologically outside the ride. Like, and I'm like, and, and, don't, and so it is so memorable. Um, of a moment, right? But these, this idea of <clears throat> relationships within the body of Christ. And so let me give you some context here for Paul and Timothy's relationship. Uh, we know from the book of Acts, chapters 15 and 16, that Paul is going to meet Timothy uh, as he's on his second missionary journey. And right before this journey, Paul and Barnabas, someone who had been really influential in the early life of, of Paul's uh, walk of faith, they had already taken a missions trip together. Um, they are going to have a very big difference of opinion on some ministry matters, and they are actually going to go 
the sep separate ways. And um, it, the, the language that's in Acts, you, you, it's like a big falling out. They have a falling out. And so here is Paul kind of grieving that loss. He's now doing the second missionary trip without Barnabas. And he's going to meet Timothy. And what we're going to learn about Timothy is that uh, he's, a, he's a believer. His grandma and his mom are believers. We see that in Acts. We'll see it repeated here in, in 2 Timothy. And yet his father is a Greek who is not of the family of faith. And so Paul is going to take Timothy with him on the rest of this missionary journey. And we get this picture from all that we can see in Scripture that Paul became a spiritual father to Timothy. And now at the point that we pick up 2 Timothy, this is towards the end of Paul's life. Timothy has been installed in leadership in the church of Ephesus, which is a difficult church. It has some false teachers. It has some difficult personalities. And all the pastors in the room are silently saying, I feel it. <laughs> Be nice to your pastors. So here's Timothy. And Paul, a prisoner of the Lord at this time, is writing to Timothy to remind him, to encourage him, to speak truth to him, so that Timothy will continue to walk out this journey of faith. So that's kind of the context. That's what we need to know. And then we are going to look at 1 Timothy verses 3 through the first part of verse 9 this morning. So this is Paul speaking to Timothy. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for the Spirit of God, gave, uh, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. So God has called us to live a holy life. He has given us a gift of his spirit, which Paul is saying to Timothy, you need to fan this into flame in your life. And what we're going to see as we unpack this passage is that Paul really gives Timothy two specific reminders that I think are also very applicable for us this morning. So the first reminder is this, your sincere faith. Remember what you have been taught. Remember what you have been taught. Paul's going to say that he is reminded of the fact that Timothy's faith started with his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And we know that Paul has picked up a portion of that instilling into Timothy. So I want us to think about this this, this morning. That, that people who are called to live 
uh, for God, need others in the faith who are older and living for God to teach them how to do that. And primarily, and parents, you know this, this is your first responsibility, right? You're, you're faithful to God, and then your job as parents is to instill the truth of God's word in your children. Let's look at Deuteronomy 6. This is the Shema, which Israelites would have heard daily. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Surround yourself with the truth of God's word. Talk to your kids about the things of God even when they roll your eyes. Now, youth, monitor how much you're rolling your eyes. Your parents are just living out the gospel, right? But this is the job of the parent. Now, I work... I have worked in, on the church side of ministry. I now work at a Christian school, and I have seen a spectrum. I have seen the parents who have worked and, and scrimped and saved to put their kids in Christian school. I've seen the kids who, uh, and the families who have kept their kids in, in public school. I'm not here to comment on which of those is right or wrong or if there is one. I'm just saying your job, whether they go to Christian school or not, it's your job to raise your kids in the faith. I have seen over 20 years of ministry the families that outsource this job to the youth group or they outsource this job to the school. These ministries, these pastors, these are tools so that you are not alone in your Christian mandate to raise your children. It's so that we partner with you in the gospel. I am so thankful now that my parents did this. In fact, I've realized, I've started to decorate like my parents. <laughs> like, like, I haven't gotten as far down the, the road as like the floral couch pattern. I mean, it's probably coming. Uh, but when I was a kid, you could walk through our house and I, I, you, you wouldn't have needed all your fingers and all your toes to count all like the placards that had Bible verses all throughout. It's like, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? Like, remember the Lord and keep him holy. Like all the things all over the house. And I was walking through my house the other day and I was like, oh, <laughs> uh, that's one. <laughs> oh. Now mine are from Hobby Lobby and they're cooler than the ones I had as a kid. I'm, I'm making it cool. <laughs> but I'm so thankful. That I am thankful that my dad, as a, when I was a teenager, said to me, hey, Sarah, where were you reading in God's word today? Oh, that question annoyed me usually because I wasn't. Amen. He, he, took it, he took living out the gospel seriously. He would ask me those questions. If I wanted to do something with my friend and it was a church night, oh, I'm sorry, friends, I was not participating because my parents said it as a pattern that church was important. It wasn't optional. It wasn't if it fit in the schedule. It was an important life to the Christian and the faith. I'm thankful for that. Now, 
here's the thing. I think you know it's your responsibility. I don't think I'm saying anything new here, but I think we have to be reminded, just like Timothy had to be reminded of what had been taught to him. Here's the other thing I think is beautiful about what we see in this passage here, and that is that Paul was not Timothy's biological father, but he's a father in the faith. And we see this relationship. Some of, some, some of us didn't have Christian parents or we got saved later in life or maybe uh, people have passed away in our lives that were our Christian influence. That is the beauty of the family of God that we are called to be spiritual grandmas and grandpas and aunties and uncles and siblings to each other. That we would be disciplers as we have been discipled. And I love this picture that we get, even in the life of Paul, of someone who mommed him. So in Paul's life, he had been raised to be a Pharisee. He was the Jew of the Jews, the Hebrew of the Hebrews. Acts 23 tells us this. And yet, when he gets saved, we don't, we don't get the whole story of how that impacted his biological family, but think about the radical difference in Paul's life now, right? Right? Paul, as a new believer, needed people, Ananias, Barnabas, the disciples. He needed people to come around him and train him and raise him up. We sometimes think that Paul got saved and he went on his first missionary journey. That's not true. Now, Paul got saved and he immediately started reasoning for the truth of God's word. While he was being discipled, he was being bold about his faith. But he had a period of time where he was discipled and he grew in the faith. And in fact, in Romans chapter 16, where Paul is greeting all of these influential people in the ministry and in his life, we get this very interesting verse that is just easy to pass over. It's Romans 16, 13. And Paul says this, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. That's cool. Paul needed a spiritual mom. There's people in here who need spiritual moms, spiritual grandmas, spiritual grandpas, spiritual dads. Now, young people, I'm going to speak to you for a minute, wherever you are, but I know there's a chunk of you here. I can't see you because the lights are so bright, but I know I see a wave. Hello. <clears throat> it will be awkward when an older person who you don't know comes and tries to be cool in order to initiate relationship with you. Let's just acknowledge it, okay? Be gracious. You need them in, the, in, in your life. They need you. We need each other. So this idea of the family of faith. In fact, the reason I have Instagram and, Lord help me, Snapchat on my phone... <laughs> The only reason is because young people who I mentor in life, those are primary tools of the way that they reach out. So I have coffee with former students and people who I've kind of anteed even in life. If I didn't have them a student, it was just a personal relationship. They will text or Snapchat or DM me like, hey, I've got stuff going on in life. Can we, can we chat? Or hey, can you be praying for me? It's the only reason because I hate those apps right? But so that I can be Auntie Sarah. Now, I'm saying the same thing their parents are saying, 
I actually had some good friends that like, they were like, I don't get it. We literally said the same exact thing, but they listened to you. Well, because I'm not their parent. I'm their auntie, right? Like you, married family people, you need single people that you can call and be like, hey, we're running late. Can you go pick the kids up at their practice? Yes, I can because I'm going to swing by Starbucks. I'm going to spoil them. I'm going to talk to them about Jesus. That is what we call a win-win. <clears throat> so invite the people in your lives that don't have kids. Like, you're not taxing us. If you're single, if that's not you, man, open yourself up to the opportunity to be a spiritual family member. Grandpas, grandmas, maybe you've raised your kids. Great, you have more, right? And I know that we can give for kids to go to things like KidCon and we can give for kids to go to Snowblast. And I'm not saying don't do that, do that. But more than just your financial empowerment, they need your spiritual mentorship. So maybe you're not gonna hurl yourself down a mountain at 30 miles an hour. But maybe on a, maybe, you come and you partner and you get to know some kids or you're part of the youth ministry or you're part of the kids ministry. There's two ministries in the church that never have enough leaders and volunteers. And that's kids and youth and they didn't even pay me to say it. And I'll tell you this, they'll keep you young. Whether you want to be or not, they'll keep you young. And so here is this reality about the family of God. Timothy, be reminded of what you've been taught that's now your faith. And now do that for others. Stand firm in your role in the church. Be bold because of what has been poured into you. Man, we're an important reminder in our individualist culture that the family of God should look different, right? So that's the first reminder. That's, that's what Paul is saying here to Timothy. Here comes the second reminder Power, love, and self-discipline. Remember what God has given you. Remember the gift. Fan this gift of God into flame. So it's the gift of the Holy Spirit that we're talking about here. That when you are a believer in Christ, you have the Spirit of God that is working spiritual realities in your life. It's not the power or the love or the self-control to do what you want to do. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But it's the spirit of God that is the gift of God. And Paul is saying, fan it into flame. Be bold. Be bold in what you know. Be bold in what you've called to do. Be bold in, in, in where you are and who you belong to. Gordon Fee, one Bible commentator that I was, I was looking at for this passage, said, you don't really have to fan something into flame unless it's waning right? And this is a hard church that Timothy has been called to lead. And Paul's not here. He's doing it on his own. I wonder how many kids we'd actually lose at college if it would be less than the three out of four it currently is if we did a better job of this other part. Just a thought. So fan this gift into flame. In fact, if you look at this section in Timothy, it's titled, it's captioned, Loyalty to the Gospel. Now, this was not popular in the first service, so I'm hoping that you're not going to fail me, but um, 
Any enthusiasts for like medieval king kind of movies, like, like old? Oh, okay, a few more. I'll be praying for the rest of you. I, I love, like, okay, well, here, I, okay, let me be clear. If I'm watching a movie like this, here's what I love. I love when the battles are approaching and then like the person like rides along the front line and he's like, come on, for the loyalty of the king, for the goodness, remember what we are, remember who you are, remember the purpose, right? And then it's like, rah, and they charge. And then I usually fast forward because I don't really want to watch the battle. <laughs> like that's, I'll be honest, like that's not the part that appeals to me. I'm just like, yes, allegiance. Come on, that's the Christian life. In fact, Matthew Bates, a Christian scholar and writer in his book, Salvation by Allegiance Alone, says this, faith in Jesus is best described as allegiance to him as king. That we live out a life of faith, which is our belief, but it's not just belief, it is also obedience in action. We live that out, and what we would title that is this idea of like living loyally, living with allegiance. But here's the thing, you cannot live with allegiance to Christ's eternal kingdom without the spirit of God at work within you. You will not be a faithful vassal in your workplace without the spirit of God at work within you. Student, you will not be a loyal, faithful student at school without the spirit of God at work within you. And so Paul says, fan that gift into flame so that you can live for the glory of the king, so that you can live in a way that people will see him. It's not about you. It's about who Christ is and what he's doing in us. So let's think about these, these three things that we're told are, are part of the Spirit's work within us. I mean, we can read other places in the New Testament, and we, we will actually look at a few here, that these are not just the only aspects of God's spirit at work within us, but there are three here that Paul identifies to help Timothy that are a result of the spirit's work within us. And the first is power. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witness is in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, the context here matters. The context is that we've been called to live a holy life. The context here is that you receive power to live so that you will be a witness for Christ. But see, we have a little habit of sometimes ripping verses out of context. Oh, let's just talk about Philippians 4.13 for a minute. I can do all things through Christ who gives me. Oh, we, we, we put that on our coffee cups. We hashtag that all over the pillows in our house. No, I don't have that one. Don't judge me. <laughs> but the context of that passage, if you look at it, is not that you can just do whatever you want to do through the power of God and he's going to get in line with your plan. It's that he has called you and equipped you and whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, whether you understand it or you don't understand it, you can do what you've been called to do through the power of God at work within you. Amen. And that is what this verse is saying. You will have power to be a witness for Christ. That in an, in an earthly kingdom that does not have the same values, you will be able to stand for truth because the power of God is at work in you. 
How about this one, Romans 15? May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust him so that you will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Even Paul alludes to this, I know you're gonna talk about it next week, but you wanna live the gospel, there's gonna be persecution. There's gonna be pushback. The, the values of the kingdom of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords are not the values of our earthly kingdom in which we live. And if you stand for the values of the higher eternal kingdom, there will be pushback in this one. So how do you stand? You stand with the power of God at work within you. You fan that gift into flame. What about love? Romans 5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The only way you can love that annoying coworker, that only, the only way you can love that uh, family member with the really political ideology that you don't agree with, is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Student, the only way that you can, you can love people who persecute you, who think that you're closed-minded because you don't hold to the values and the ideologies of this world is through the love of God. The only way that you can not be disrespectful to a teacher who disagrees with your values and love them is through the power of the Holy Spirit. What if Christians actually started doing this what if God fanned this into flame in the American church? Oh man, John 13, you'd be known by your love. Self-discipline. Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. This idea of self-discipline or self-control, when you look at kind of like a, a New Testament scope of all the times this word is used, here's a, here's a really good way to think about it. Acting with a wise head, which means when you receive pushback or someone disagrees with you uh, on values or ideologies, you don't fly off the handle. You can act with restraint. Like it said, Jesus was meek that you can act with restraint and wisdom for the sake of the gospel so that you can maintain a relationship with someone that you disagree with on almost every ideology, but you can maintain relationship for the sake of continued gospel interaction that requires self-control and not everything that's right needs to be said in that moment. Oh, and by the way, it said with the other one we just talked about, love. God's spirit is a gift that works these realities in our lives. We're not given over to being timid, but we live with this spirit-empowered boldness to take step after step in the kingdom of God until the day that we reach the end and we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you long to hear those words? The question is, what kingdom are you living in? What kingdom are you living for? Because this kingdom that we live in, this earthly world, of which powers come and go, 
and which values tell you to get what's yours and don't be stepped on and make sure you have a nice retirement. And the whole point of getting to the point where you can stop working is that you just get to kit back instead of serving the church. Like all the mentality of this earthly kingdom is backwards to the kingdom of heaven. And as we live holy lives here, lives that are becoming more and more like Christ, it is to make him known so that others might come into his kingdom through faith. So if this is not our kingdom, then the way we live should make us look like strangers, sojourners, exiles, which is what 1 Peter 1 says. Philippians 3 says our citizenship is not in this world, it is in heaven, right? So we shouldn't look like we belong here. Now, that's not a license to be weird. (laughs) But as you live out the values of God's kingdom, it won't align with this kingdom. But that's what we're called to. The word for that is holiness, to be set apart. And there's this book called Evangelism as Exiles that I love, and I want to just kind of end with this thought this morning. We're going to read an excerpt from it. We'll put it up here. Holiness, therefore, is the necessary effect and means of the gospel. In other words, holiness is not only the result of conversion. It is also an embodied argument in support of the gospel's veracity. Now, let's hold there for a second. We'll go back to that. An embodied argument for the gospel's veracity, the truth of the gospel is being lived out as Christ works in us and not only for our benefit so that others might see who he is. I love that line, an embodied argument. Now that doesn't mean we don't have to also speak the name of Jesus because people might just think you're a really nice person. I don't know that they would think that about me. I have a little too much sass. I have to constantly announce that I belong to Jesus. Okay, moving on, next part of the quote. We're saved to be holy, and we become holy so others will become saved. In the gospel, we're recreated to be like God, so we will then demonstrate who God is to the world. Now listen, friends, we will not do this perfectly, but we should be called to do it persistently to run with perseverance, to fan into flame the gift that you've been given if you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, that you you take one step of faith, you grow in your own relationship with him. And as you do that, you impact the people in in the family of faith and outside the family of faith by living forward into the kingdom purposes of God. So may our hearts cry this morning be that, God, you are worthy of my whole life. Show me what's next. Show me who you want me to love. Lead me where you want me to go. Help me do what you've called me to do by the power, love, and self-control of your spirit. Amen? Amen. As the worship team comes, would you uh, close your eyes and bow your heads with me as we, we end in a time of prayer? God, we thank you for your word that reminds us of things that we know, but that we just need to be re-emphasized in our hearts and our minds. God, Lord, we we live in this kingdom that often distracts us, that competes for our attention, that competes for our loyalty. 
God, I pray that you would just speak to the hearts in this room. God, that you would just wrap us in a holy purpose. God, that you would give us a boldness for the things of God, that we would be called to live further into your kingdom purposes in our lives. For things that hinder or distract, for for things that are worthless of our time or our attention or our effort, God, would you help us to push those aside? Would you help us be a people that rise up to redeem the time so that others might come to know you. God, you are worthy. You are good. You are true. And so Lord, would you use us? Would you help us to respond in this moment so that we may walk deeper in fellowship with you and in greater example of you to those around us. We ask those things in Jesus' name, amen. i 
Like the song says, he is worthy of it all. He's worthy of all our prayers. He's worthy of all our lives, night and day, day and night. Let's praise him. Yeah. 